Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. This is Tavis Killian with Rare Petro bringing you another episode of Monday Madness on May 22nd, 2023. Typically, I try to bring up something interesting or pertinent at the start of the podcast to break the ice. That way, we aren't plunging straight into the cold waters of data and news stories just right off the bat. I'm trying to think of such a transition right now, and I don't really have much, so I'll just tell you about the movie I watched last night. It was called Freaky and featured Vince Vaughn as a Michael Myers-esque villain who ends up body swapping with a teenage girl, much like the premise of Freaky Friday. This weird blend of already existing slasher and comedy tropes went decently well as I felt myself laughing throughout the movie. Vince Vaughn does a pretty good job portraying the personality of a teenage girl, and the girl did well portraying a Vince Vaughn-sized madman now occupying a much smaller girl's body. The horror elements were kept fresh with frequent and elaborate killings, and the movie got a couple of cheap laughs out of me. Four out of five stars, and recommended if you're a fan of the Halloween franchise and looking for a slapsticky slasher. You know what, maybe I should round that down to a three and a half. But that is the conclusion of the first and hopefully only time I opened with a movie review. This is the Rare Petro Podcast, so I think it's time we get into more statistics and news stories regarding the energy space. Commodity prices are up first. I wish I had better news about WTI, but unfortunately, it's the same story of the $70 floor. Last week, it climbed as high as $73, but was pulled back down to $71 by the end of the week. This morning's open brings us as high as $72, but things still look pretty bleak as we have no major developments around energy at an international level. Brent still has an almost perfect $4 premium, but otherwise moves the same exact way. Natural gas is currently at 240 where you might expect it, but we hit a little bit of a road bump last week. And by that, I mean we saw some price movement that ended up looking like a symmetrical road bump in the charts. So it started from 240 and then that price skyrocketed up to 260 almost 270 before coming right back down to 240 The whole transition lasted from midday Thursday to this morning and might suggest that gas is a bit more valuable than we thought, though not by much. That would be the most realistic best case. The most realistic worst case, EIA data and a diminishing world supply scared some people into making trades, meaning that everything's sellable out and we're back to 240 for the foreseeable future. You'd think that tightening supplies would be a larger mover in the space of energy at the moment, but it just isn't the case for whatever reason. Speculation can only last so long before the realities of physics and energy needs start to dictate prices. Sure, markets can stay irrational longer than you and I could stay solvent, but People have to eat, and cars have to move at the end of the day. Next is the rig count. If you remember last week's data, we saw the largest rig decline in over 150 weeks with a 17 rig decline. This week fares only a little bit better with another double-digit downfall. 11 fewer rigs in the United States as the total falls to 720 rigs, or now 8 fewer rigs than we had last year. I'm going to say that last part again because that is a monumental transition for the present. Eight fewer rigs than we had this time last year. For 108 weeks, that statistic has been read on this podcast as X more rigs than this time last year. Not fewer. 108 weeks. After April of 2020, the rig count took a heavy hit, but recovered by April of the following year. From then, the rig count grew again, and we often saw a total of more than 200 rigs year over year, which eventually diminished to 100, then 50, recently a few dozen, and now, negative eight. This is a pretty good teller of current industry sentiment in recent times, sort of a moving average, if you will. 
producers are bailing on exploration and putting more effort into paying down debts, or M&As, if they are feeling really frisky. More on that later. As for the regular statistics, the Permian is taking the brunt of the blow as it lost four rigs. Then, the Eagleford with a three-rig decrease. The DJ and Ardmer Woodford bring up the rear with one lost each. Nobody else gained a rig. State by state, you won't be surprised here that Texas is down nine. Then Colorado is down two, with Cali and Louisiana down one each. But there is good news. Wyoming and New Mexico each found a way to gain a rig. The Gulf of Mexico wasn't safe in the slaughter, though, as they lost one rig as well. Virtually, all downed rigs were horizontal and targeting oil. Not an excellent week in this regard, though this is a landmark to be remembered, especially after the record-setting week before. The downtrend is real. Finally, we have the inventory report from Nick Bryan, rather than Nick Fernhout. As always, I recommend you check out the full piece on www.rarepetro.com, as they pack them full of fantastic information and figures. Here's what Nick B. had to write. The EIA forecasted a million barrel drop in inventories for the period, but was met with surprise inventory build of a considerable size, about 5 million barrels. The API also expected an even larger draw than the EIA, but reported a significant, though slightly lesser, inventory build at roughly 3.7 million barrels. This and last week's surprise inventory builds could exert downward pressure on commodity prices. The last two reporting periods reverse the inventory depletion trend that the country has been seeing since March of this year. National average gasoline prices stayed nearly flat in the last period at 354. U.S. gasoline stocks have once again turned downwards and remained beneath the five-year range of national gasoline inventories. Mississippi remains the only state in the union to have a sub-$3 gasoline on average, while California tops the other end of the price spectrum at 480. Diesel prices continue their inexorable downward march, and diesel stocks continue to get slimmer, with inventories at the very bottom of the five-year range. Propane inventories, by contrast, continue to build and are on top of the five-year range. Net crude oil imports were just down over 100,000 barrels per day from the last reporting period, but remain about 1 million barrels higher than most of April was. This seems to be dominated largely by a drop in exports. Imports seem fairly stable. The overall trend of the last three months seems to be moving away from the zero net import-export mark, but the macro trend towards oil independence still seems to continue. Thanks again to Nick Bryan for putting together that research for this week. That rounds out all of our statistics, so now it's time for news starting with the most surprising merger of the year so far. Out of left field, we received news that Chevron plans to acquire PDC Energy for $6.3 billion. If you aren't aware, PDC is pretty much a shale player with lots of acreage in the Wattenberg and some other stuff down in Texas. Both boards unanimously approved the deal, so at this point, it has to make it past the shareholders. Of course, Mike Worth gave cookie-cutter statements that basically said this is good for Chevron as they will make more money and less carbon, but any CEO has to do that. Chevron doesn't plan to watch the grass grow, though, because they are already announcing plans to increase CapEx by $1 billion per year. Andrew Dittmer of the Enverus Intelligence team wrote about acquisitions last month saying, All of this seems to point towards an industry that looks increasingly like it did before shale in the context of the biggest companies and majors holding the best lowest cost resources. End quote. And I gotta say, I agree with the guy. With the way the regulatory environment goes, it seems like fewer small and mid-cap outfits, not that PDC was small or mid-cap, are going to be able to operate in a way that makes them money. 
seems like the economics of scale will be the single most useful tool as time progresses, which suggests a future where 80% of Colorado extraction becomes split between either Oxy or Chevron. Don't forget that Chevron gobbled up Noble and Oxy claimed Anadarko, though we try not to bring up that blunder too frequently. This is just another one of those big mergers that we've been lucky enough to witness in recent years when considering the likes of the previously mentioned, along with Devon and WPX, Conoco and Concho, Chevron Noble, like we talked about, Pioneer Parsley, and Cabo Simarex. Lots of change to be seen, and all consolidation seems to be falling in the laps of the super majors, so please, write into the show, let us know what you think about that. I, for one, am not super happy to see it, but hey... Do you think Supermajors should own more of this land and continue towards what looks like another standard oil? You can write in to podcast at rarepetro.com, and we may be able to explore your opinions next episode. So, of course, that story is the one dominating the energy space right now, but we do have new developments from the Houthis, so we might as well check on them. The Houthis run Yemen's government, and they decide to deal with Chinese officials and a Chinese company that will invest in oil exploration in Yemen. The Memorandum of Understanding very specifically mentioned investment in the upstream sector. If you've forgotten the timeline thus far, here's a little memory jogger. At the end of last year, the Houthis attacked some key infrastructure and warned companies in Saudi Arabia and the UAE, also other international companies operating in the area, to back off as the conflict between Yemen and Saudi failed to de-escalate. China then steps in early this year and convinces Iran to stop supplying weapons to the rebels, though it seems like legacy media now spins that as Iran taking the initiative to do so itself. Then, Saudi Arabia and Iran make peace and agree to reopen embassies as China allowed them to meet, talk, and settle their differences in Beijing. Now, China is appeasing the Houthis because their whole problem in the first place was overturning of an elected president they didn't want and the lack of oil revenue, especially when compared to their neighbor, Saudi Arabia. They just wanted a little more money, and hey, can't really blame them when you see how much swims through that country. China is big-brained for this one because the move will keep the Houthis not only happy, but distracted with production. I never thought I would say it, but China sure knows how to end a near-decade-long proxy war and make themselves look like angels in the process. But hey, I'm counting the eggs before they hatch. The conflict has not ended yet, though they are taking steps in the right direction. Folks, that is all we've got for this podcast. Massive merger and rapidly changing arena of geopolitics. This only scratches the surface of what our organization likes to cover. We've got new content almost daily, so... Be sure not to only subscribe to this podcast by hitting that follow button, but also head over to www.rarepetro.com to find more than just auditory content. The information's free, and we just hope that passionate people are out there listening to the things that fascinate us as we all grow together. This has been Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, and until we see you next time, take care, everybody. Take care, everybody.